This morning we're looking at Joshua chapter 10, okay? Um, This is one of the coolest Bible stories that I know of, Uh, partly because I'm kind of, just to be frankly, I'm kind of a nerd. Um, So, (laughs) like, I love history, I love science, and it's neat whenever you have stories like this in the Bible where they kind of meld together, okay? So in Joshua chapter 10, what we're talking about today is Joshua's long day. Has everybody heard of it? Yeah? Okay. So what it's about is the sun stood still in the sky. Scientifically, you're like, nah, that's impossible. There's got to be some explanation for it, right? And the point of the matter is not really how God does it, but that he did it, right? God can do what only God can do, and he's going to do what he wants to do. And we read Joshua 10 and know that it actually happened. And if, um, if you want to know more about the scientific stuff, come to me. I got some sources for you, okay? But that's not the point of the message today. It's not a science lesson, I promise, because uh, y'all won't want to hear that from me. Anyway, so we're diving into Joshua chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 1 through 15 together real quick, and then we're going to break it down, all right? So let's read, we'll pray, and then we'll break it down. Here we go. Uh, now, King Adonai Zedek, that's a mouthful, of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured Ai and completely destroyed it, treating Ai and its king as he had Jericho and its king, and that the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were living among them. So Adonai Zedek uh, and his people were greatly alarmed because Gibeon was a large city like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai and all its men were warriors. So I want to stop right there real quick. I'm sorry. I had to, I said that I wasn't going to, but I'm going to. What does it say about um, the king? Nick called him AZ. The more I say it, I think I'm going to call him AZ too. King AZ and his people were what? They They were what? They were greatly alarmed. They were afraid, right? Why would they be afraid? We're going to come back to it. But keep that in mind. Greatly afraid, greatly alarmed is a key phrase in here, okay? Uh, Therefore, King Az of Jerusalem sent word to King, um, mine says Hoham, of Hebron, um, King Piram of Jarmuth, King Japhia of Lachish, and King Debir of Eglon, saying, Come up and help me. We will attack Gibeon, because they have made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. So the five Amorite kings, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces, advanced with all their armies, besieged Gibeon, and fought against it. Then the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Don't give up on us, uh, your servants. Come quickly and save us. Help us, for all the Amorite kings living in the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua and all his troops, including all his best soldiers, came from Gilgal. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them, for I have handed them over to you. Not one of them will be able to stand against you. So Joshua caught them by surprise after marching all night from Gilgal. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. He defeated them in a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them through the ascent of Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda as they fled before Israel, and the Lord threw large hailstones on them from the sky along the descent of Beth Horon, all the way to Azekah, and they died. 
More of them died from the hail than the Israelites killed with the sword. And on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to the Israelites, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun stand still over Gibeon, and moon over the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on its enemies. Isn't this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed its setting almost a full day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord listened to a man because the, because the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgal. All right, that was a mouthful, right? We got it now. Is everybody still awake? Okay, good. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing. God, we thank you for the uh, demonstration with the army men we've already been able to see too. And God, it is cool to know that you are the same God that was with Joshua as you are today that walks with us. So God, open up our hearts, open up our ears, open up our minds to what you have to say to us. God, so that we can pull something from your word. Your word is rich. And Lord, I pray that it will just fill us. So that we can know you better, love you better, and serve you better. God, we thank you so much for everything that you do. Pray that you would bless this time. Speak to us. We love you, and it's all in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So I just want to start off with a little bit of context for where uh, Joshua and the Israelites are at, okay? So they have crossed into the promised land, right? The first city that they took over was Jericho, and they did it by walking around the, the city of Jericho 13 times, right? Once each day for six days, and then on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times, and on the very last one, they didn't lift a finger, they didn't do anything. They blew trumpets, and the walls came down. And you know when that happened? Was whenever the people shouted because they had victory. They didn't do anything, they didn't lift a finger. But when they shouted, the walls tumbled down, right? And they were, I mean, Jericho was theirs. And then next, because they're in the land of Canaan, um, they had other cities. There was other kingdoms that they had to take over because God had given them this land. And so it was their responsibility to go and claim it, right? So the next city that they kind of... Uh, we're trying to lay siege on was a city called Ai, and it's literally spelled that way, Ai. Um, but they were about to try and take it, and they took about two to three thousand people. The Bible doesn't actually specifically say; it just says between two and three thousand people. And uh, because it was a small town, it wasn't a big one. They should have been able to take it because there were no warriors in this city, but. Whenever they tried to lay siege on it, you know what happened? They got chased away. Like, that's pretty embarrassing for a, for a city, I mean, for an army that didn't even have to lift a finger to conquer Jericho. They went up to try and take the city of Ai. Like, and they, were, they actually had brought their weapons. They were ready. And then they got chased away. All right, that's some, that's some major irony right there, isn't it? And so... Joshua's like, man, what in the world happened? God, I thought you were with us. What he didn't know was there was this guy named Achan. All right? And his name means trouble. It literally means trouble. So I know there's probably a few of you in here who say, 
you know, to your best friend, of course, ah, there's trouble. He's headed our way. That was literally this guy's name, okay? Um, what had happened, though, was whenever they took over Jericho, God said to destroy everything. All the precious metals, gold, silver, iron, and bronze, they were to be brought and used by the priests. Well, Achan decided to take some for himself. He found a cloak, he found some gold, he found some silver, and he hid it, buried it, and hid it in his tent. Okay, So he's like, not only am I going to bring it in my house, but I'm going to bury it under my house. Nobody's ever going to find it. Nobody's ever going to know. Well, guess what? Because he did that, because he didn't follow God's instructions, they lost. 3,000 men were chased away at Ai, and 30 died because of Achan's sin, right? So what happened next was all of the uh, tribes of Israel came before him. They picked out the tribe of Judah. All the clans in the tribe of Judah came, and they picked out Achan's family. All the families, they narrowed it down a little bit more until finally... God pointed out Achan and said, this is the guy who has caused you trouble. It's funny how he lived up to his name, right? <laughs> this is the guy who has brought you trouble. This, is, this guy is the reason that 30 guys have died. This is the reason that you weren't able to um, besiege Ai. And so they, he, had to, he, he had to die because, they dis, because he disobeyed, right? So fast forward. They were able to ambush AI next. The point that I'm trying to get to is that God's people have stood in opposition, just like as we read in Joshua 10, the kings, the Amorite kings, the five armies stood in opposition to God too, right? Um, and do y'all know what opposition means? I know it's a word that we kind of throw around sometimes. But it literally means to stand against. So to oppose, right? So op, the prefix op means against. And pose, well, you can imagine, you strike a pose. Okay? So I'm posing against you. This is what the Amorite kings did. And this is what Achan did. Okay? They opposed God. So let's look at verses 1 through 5 again in Joshua 10. Okay? It says, Now King Adonazedek of Jerusalem heard that Joshua had captured Ai and completely destroyed it, treating Ai and its king as he had Jericho and its king, and that the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel excuse me, and were living among them. So Az and his people were greatly alarmed because Gibeon was a large city like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were warriors. Therefore, King Az of Jerusalem sent word to the five. Okay? So, and I did forget to tell you. The Gibeon, the Gibeonites. So these were a people, like it just said, that this is a larger city in the Canaanite Valley, in the Canaanite region, and they, their people were warriors. Okay? And so what happened was Gibeon, trying to protect themselves, knew like, they saw it coming. Like, Israel was coming for their land. And so they said, you know what? We need to strike up a treaty with them. We don't want to be destroyed. I don't want to die. So let's go to them. We'll trick them, actually. And we're going to make it look like we've come from a really long way away. So they took old, worn-out sandals. They took old wineskins. You know, 
in today's terms, you could imagine like they took crumpled up water bottles with them. Okay? This is basically what they've done. And then not only that, but the, they even thought as far as like, you know what, we're going to bring bread too, but we're going to pick the stale bread, the one where you only have the heels or I call them the butts of the bread. They had the butts of the bread left. And it was moldy, it was crunchy, it was crumbly, it was not good bread. Made it look like they had traveled a really long way, right? And so whenever they came to Joshua, Joshua was like, yeah, that seems legit. We'll team up with you. And um, didn't really take into account what the Lord was going to say to them. And so that is why the five Amorite kings are like, well, the Gibeons, they just... They basically left us for dead. You know, we need to go in and attack them. Because that ain't cool. They violated bro code. You know, like, you don't do that. So, that's why the five Amorite kings went up to attack them. They stood in opposition to what God was doing. Um... Sorry. Where's my water? Sorry, y'all. They stood in opposition to God and what he was doing. Because God's plan was for Israel to take the land, right? I don't know if y'all heard that. I'm sorry if you did. (laughs) God's plan was for them to take the land. And King Az started in opposition. See, the thing is, one of the points that I wanted to make was it doesn't matter which side we're all supposedly on. There's times when we all stand in opposition, whether we're on God's team or not. Just like Achan. Achan was part of the family. But he still opposed God. Five kings, the Amorite kings, they weren't in God's family. They stood in opposition to God. But guess what? There's another option. You can fight alongside God. You can fight alongside God. So let's look at verses 6 through 10 real quick. It says, Then the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Don't give up on your servants. Come quickly and save us. Help us. For all the Amorite kings living in the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua and all his troops, including all his best soldiers, came from Gilgal. The Lord said to Joshua, Don't be afraid of them, for I have handed them over to you. Not one of them will be able to stand against you. So Joshua caught them by surprise after marching all night from Gilgal. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, and he defeated them in a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them through the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. All right, so what's the point here? The point is that Israel knew that God was with them. Whenever they're not standing in opposition to God, guess what? God's going to work for them. They saw that happen, right? They took Jericho. They followed the instructions, except for Achan. But whenever they are fighting alongside God, God always gives victory. I mean, we saw that with Rahab at Jericho too, right? She wasn't necessarily in God's family yet, but she was spared 
That was the only place that didn't get destroyed. Her and her family lived, and they were brought into the family. Okay? Same thing with the Gibeonites. No, they weren't in God's family, but guess what? They joined Israel. They became, it says, they became their water carriers because they got, you know, they tricked the Israelites, and so there was some, some, something to pay <laughs> there. So they became their water carriers. The point is, though, is that they all fought alongside God. And so whenever the Gibeonites were attacked by the five Amorite kings, guess what? It says, um, the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, and he defeated them in a great slaughter at Gibeon. Let me ask you, how does this one say it? Okay, this one's NLT. So mine says, he defeated them in a great slaughter at Gibeon. This version makes it a little bit more clear. Sometimes, you know, you have a, an article or a pronoun that doesn't really make sense. But the he there is talking about God. It's not saying that the Israelites had a great slaughter, but God had a great slaughter. They were fighting alongside God. God was the main one doing the fighting, right? And then what, what else does it say? In verse, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I won't get ahead of myself. <laughs> but whenever Israel came and started fighting, trying to conquer the land that God had given them, man, God did some cool stuff, didn't he? We saw the demonstration a minute ago, right? Y'all remember the demonstration? We all awake then? Okay. What happened? What, you know, you had the five armies, the one blue army, a little fence in between. That's not going to save anybody. But there was this cup, not of coffee, but of rocks, right? And it got dumped out all over the five armies. Hailstones. Do you think Israel put in their order for hailstones, or did God just do it? Okay, yeah, this isn't Amazon same-day delivery, okay? It was hailstones sent from God to wipe out all five of the armies. And guess what? I don't have the map in mind, but Nick showed it earlier. But, oh, thank you. Perfect. Okay, we do have a map. Okay, so... Gilgal is where the Israelites were at, right? When, uh, they, when Gibeon called, they ran over. And then they chased them all the way from Gibeon all the way to Azekah. And just a little bit further down, it's not on the map. Oh, it is on the map. Sorry. Maqueda. Okay? Do you know how far they were chased by hailstones? About 20 miles. Could you imagine a 20-mile-long path of hailstones just chasing you down? <laughs> it was, uh, I'd say that was pretty miraculous, wouldn't you? It's pretty neat. But that was not Israel's doing, right? That wasn't the Gibeonites' doing. That was God's because they were fighting alongside of them. You know, God, God made a way for them to see victory. And then guess what? Whenever you're fighting alongside God and not opposing God, you do see crazy things like that happen. Have any of y'all ever seen just something wild that God has done? Because I tell you what, whenever you're looking for it, oh man, will he show up. Because, I mean, in this story alone, you have the hailstones. And then if we read a little bit further down, let's go ahead and do that. 11 through 15, real quick. <clears throat> 
As they fled before Israel, the Lord threw large hailstones on them. We read that part. More of them died from the hail than Israelites killed with the sword. That's wild, ain't it? And on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to the Israelites, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the presence of Israel. Sun stands still over Gibeon and moon over the valley of Ajalon. All right. So you have hailstones, and then you have the sun and the moon standing still. That's wild stuff. Have y'all ever seen the sun stand still? No, it keeps going every day. I've never seen it, but it happened. Miraculous things happen when you fight alongside God. So, uh, and actually, one other thing that I want to point out real quick is really neat whenever you think of it this way. God was making himself evidently known. And he was showing a force of supremacy and power whenever he allowed Joshua to pray that prayer, right? Let me ask you too. Think of it from, from Joshua's perspective too. He had the faith to pray that prayer, right? I want that faith. And whenever we step out in faith, God does answer with supremacy and power every time. Because guess what? He, the sun and the moon were gods of the Canaanites. But God showed his power over them by making them stand still, showing them and the Canaanites that he rules over them and that he is God Almighty. You know, same thing happened whenever we see Jesus in the boat and the storm came and all the disciples were freaking out, right? And they said, Jesus, how are you able to sleep? Dude, there's a storm out there and this boat is rocking. What are you doing, man? But what did he say? He said, oh, you have little faith. And then he calmed the seas. And then everyone said, who is this man that even the wind and the seas obey him? Same thing happens here. The sun and the moon, they just stood still in the sky. And you know, my immediate question is, why, what would be the purpose of the sun standing still, you know? The thing is, they didn't have flashlights back then, and war was difficult in the dark, right? So God allowed Israel to fight alongside of him, alongside of him, and to chase all the other five kingdoms down 20 miles away. It's a really cool story. Because whenever we understand that standing in opposition to God leads to not good things, but whenever we, and we understand too that fighting alongside God leads to miraculous things, my question to y'all is, what, what do y'all want to do? Do you want to follow alongside God or stand in opposition to Him? I'll tell you for me, the answer is pretty easy. But then we also have to understand what does standing in opposition to God look like? And I'll tell you the one thing that Bobby says all the time is that sin is sin is sin is sin is sin is sin is sin, right? Thing is, is we've got to understand where the sin is in our life. We have to take account. We have to, you know, sometimes God will point out to us things that we need to change and take care of, just like He pointed out Achan. 
pointing out the trouble. Sometimes we got to follow up with that, right? Let me, let me rephrase that. It's not sometimes. Every time we need to follow up with that. Because we don't want to stand in opposition to God. We don't want to strike a pose against him. You know, we really want to fight alongside of him. And so my main question whenever I'm examining my own life is, and trying to find those oppositions, is God, where am I not glorifying and honoring you? And where am I trying to glorify and honor myself and raise, excuse me, and raise myself up? Fighting alongside God will be one of the best things you ever do because guess what? Then it's not even you that's got to lift a finger. It's God. You know, Nick mentioned it earlier that one of the songs that came to mind as he was reading it was the song like, This is How I Fight My Battles. Y'all know that one? It's a really good song. Because we don't have to fight whenever we yield everything to God. We don't. Yes, we do have to follow through in things, especially whenever he leads us to them and tells us what to do. But it's not contingent on us. It's not. And that's a beautiful thing. So I'm going to ask you two questions, two questions that you can take home with you and think about. Okay? How do you think about God? Is your view of God as a soft God? Because I tell you what, he's not. He is a loving, caring father. But guess what? He's also a warrior. And he's willing to fight for us. We just have to be willing to fight alongside of him, right? And then, what would your life be like if you fought alongside God? Not as the main character, but as second in command. What would life look like? Because whenever you figure it out, man, you'll see some miraculous stuff. I'm not saying that the sun will stand still for you. But what I'm saying is that God will show up. And whenever God shows up, he shows out. Every time. Okay? So, the question is today, too. If you know that you're in opposition to God, you need to go ahead and confess it. Because that's sin, right? And then the next step is to fight alongside of him. Tell God that you want him in your life. Tell him that, you know, I was about to quote Carrie Underwood, but I'm not. (laughs) Sorry. It came to mind, I was like, no, I better not. But for real though, tell God that you want him in control. Because I'm telling you what, it's not fun to be the one in the driver's seat all the time. It's hectic. It's stressful. Whenever you're the one making decisions all the time, there's a, there's a legit thing called decision fatigue. It's a real thing. We don't always have to make all the decisions if we just yield to God. So let's pray. Nick's going to pray for us. Band's going to come up, and we're going to sing one more song, okay? Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> I said it. How do you fight your battles? Uh, you let God fight them for you? I think that's the question today. Let's pray.
God, thank you for reminding us that we have victory because of Jesus. And uh, just help us to remember that and to carry that with us. And that no matter what happens in this world and or what the circumstances are, dear Lord, just help us remember that the battle's already been won and that we have that victory because of Jesus and that Jesus paid the ultimate price and, and paid for death and, and our sin, dear Lord, and that we, uh, that should make us different, dear Lord. That should change us, dear Lord. And, and dear Lord, no matter what happens in the world, no matter what happens around us or what changes, uh, help us to hold on to those things and remember that, that this life and our bodies are just temporary, dear Lord, and that we have a home eternally, dear Lord, if we believe in you and, and have received you in your spirit. And uh, I just thank you for reminding us and, and thank you for reminding us of, of Joshua and help us to have faith like him, dear Lord, and help us just to, to be close enough to you that we don't miss what you're doing and that we see the miracles and that uh, the world doesn't consume us, dear Lord, and just help us to be consumed by you. Dear Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in here that doesn't know that and doesn't know you, that they would just ask you, dear Lord. And uh, we ask all these things in your name. Amen.